Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Well, hey, welcome. I'm Chris Shandro, the pastor at Compass. As always, I'm so glad that you're with me today. Now, this summer, Beth Moore, who's a Christian writer and speaker, she posted a tweet that just showed some grapes that she grew in her home vineyard. And with the picture, she put this caption. She said, I'm growing grapes for reals. It's like a miracle in 50 jillion degree weather. If Jesus is trying to get me to have a crush on him, it's working. So, I mean, it's no big deal, right? A woman just made a a cutesy, funny little post on Twitter. You know, it's for her and her followers. But Twitter kind of blew up. I mean, check out some of the responses from other Christians to Beth Moore's tweet. Okay, this is what some Christians said to her. Uh, This person said, this is awful. I'm really holding my tongue right now, really holding. I hope you repent and grow up. Another person said this. So you said Jillian and referred to having a crush on Jesus. You're not 12 or 13. Grow up. Go crush grapes, Beth. Or better yet, learn some grown-up theology. Another person said, This is sickening that Beth Moore has such a low view of God and high view of herself that she describes the almighty creator of the universe as some guy hitting on her. It is disgusting the way she views God. She needs to repent. And then finally, this last person, they said, I truly pray, Beth, that you repent. All you have is religion, not Jesus. You teach another gospel. Now, here's the thing about all this. Beth Moore is a Christian. And the people making these nasty comments to Beth Moore would also say they're Christians. And while they may disagree on her style or the language she uses or even her doctrine, I mean, all of these people would say they're followers of Jesus, which means these really mean statements made to a total stranger online are being made by people who claim to be Christians, church people. And the biggest problem is that these types of comments, they aren't really that rare. People who claim to be religious Christians regularly say things online and in person that are harsh, cruel, even judgmental. And it doesn't take a lot of digging to find those comments. Now, obviously, this isn't to say that all Christians are like that. I mean, I'm a Christian. I hope I'm not like that. And and I know many, many other followers of Jesus who would never treat anybody like that. But that still brings up a church people problem. There's a behavior gap in how some of us express our Christianity. And when I talk about religious people, I'm talking about people who say they believe the Bible, agree with all of the Orthodox Christian doctrines, and do their best to follow the rules of the Christian religion. And this religious behavior gap, it raises a big question for me. And it's this, if if the Christian religion is good, why does it seem like so many Christians are so mean? If our religion is just... How is it possible that so many of its followers could act in unjust ways? And doesn't that fact alone call into question whether Christianity at its core is a just religion? Now, the big question we've been asking in this message series is this. Is our religion just? Meaning, is it rooted in goodness, truth, and justice? Or is it just religion? Is it just religion that's harsh, brittle, easy to dismiss? 
Well, today we're going to draw all of the threads that we've been talking talking about this in this whole series together so we can understand how good religion can become broken and dysfunctional and mean. Basically, we're going to look at how Christians can be so mean when the Jesus their religion is based on isn't. Now, let me recap with you some of our main takeaways from the series, okay? So, we've learned that Jesus interpreted Scripture through the lenses of mercy, that the rules of religion laid out in Scripture were always, for him, run through the filter of mercy toward other people. We learned that uh, just religion puts the good of people before religious practice, that the true practice of Christianity would never put its own good over the good of other people. Christianity is always going to be people first in how it should be practiced according to Jesus. Now, we also learned about the inward effects of how we practice religion. <clears throat> uh, Jesus showed us that being religious does not make you immune from missing out on the Holy Spirit. The Pharisees of Jesus' day were the most religiously observant people that there were, and yet Jesus accused them of committing blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. They followed all the rules and they knew all the scriptures, and, and yet their approach to religion kept them from seeing what God was doing in the world. And the proof was that their lives were bearing bad fruit. Because another thing we learned is this, we bear good fruit by being transformed by the Holy Spirit, not by being conformed to religion. And then last week, we learned that religion isn't repentance. The practice of religion should lead us to repentance or lead us to turning our hearts toward God, but, but just following and agreeing with the principles of religion does not change us unless we are consistently turning our hearts toward God ourselves. And then, and finally, to cap off this long section of teaching, that Jesus has been giving us in Matthew chapter 12, he says this, When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert, seeking rest, but finding none. Then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty, swept, and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. And Jesus ends it by saying, that will be the experience of this evil generation. So Jesus tells a parable about a person who has an evil spirit that's driven out of them. And once the demon is gone, that person's life is then cleaned up, straightened up, and put in order. But when the evil spirit returns to find this cleaned up life, it brings seven more evil spirits to come and inhabit this newly cleaned and empty house of a life. And then Jesus says, that will be the experience of this evil generation. Now, some people look at this and think that this is clearly Jesus elaborating on demons and spiritual warfare. And so, you know, if you ever get a demon in you, you know, you need to be careful because if if it leaves and you let it come back, it's going to bring seven of its buddies. But as simple as it would be to read this as Jesus, you know, just explaining how demons work, I really don't think that, that that's what he's doing here. I think he's doing something much more subtle and much more applicable 
to all religious people. And to understand what that is, we need to answer some questions about this passage, okay? And so, first off, if Jesus isn't talking about demons, who is he talking about? And the answer to that is found in the last thing that Jesus said. He said, an evil spirit leaving and returning to a clean house will be the experience of this evil generation. That's who he's talking about. And last week, we talked about how Jesus used the language of this evil generation when he was referring to the Pharisees and how that language of an evil generation doesn't just mean the people who opposed Jesus while he was alive at the time. Jesus is actually describing contrasting ways of being in the world and responding to God that are universal and timeless. Because on the one hand, you have the people with the qualities and characteristics of the kingdom of God. And on the other hand, you have this evil generation. People with the qualities and characteristics of the kingdom of this world. And the Pharisees themselves, in spite of how religious and pious they were, they became the mascots of this generation. And that's really hard to see because in spite of all of their religious observance, in spite of their knowledge of scripture and doctrinal orthodoxy, Jesus described them as an evil generation, the opposite of those who make up the kingdom of God. So Jesus isn't really talking about demons in this parable. Instead, he's talking about people like the Pharisees, people who trust in their religious certainty and who trust in their religious activity to make them right with God. So knowing that Jesus really is addressing that, those people, that brings us to a second question. What cleaned up the house in Jesus's parable in the first place? I mean, in this story, we have a person whose life is described as such a mess that an evil spirit occupied it, but then the house was cleaned up, swept, and put in order. What did that? Well, religion. See, it's almost as if Jesus is painting a picture of a person whose life is a mess until they find a religious system that could point them to God. And then, like the Pharisees, they jump right in, they memorize the scriptures, they adhered to all the doctrines, they followed all the teachings, and they obeyed all of the religious law. And religion brought structure and it brought order to their life. It led them to live with moral purity, with clean religious lives. And if Jesus had stopped the story here, it actually would have aligned with how the Pharisees saw the world. If you do and believe the right religious things, you will be good and clean. But Jesus didn't stop there. In fact, we already know that in spite of their pure religious adherence, Jesus described the Pharisees as people who rejected the work of the Holy Spirit. And he described them as people who were bearing bad spiritual fruit in their lives. See, their spiritual homes were clean, but their spiritual homes were empty. So years ago, Terry and I had a Ford Taurus, and we, I mean, we drove that thing to death. And early one winter, we decided that it was time to buy a new car. So uh, we bought a fancy Saturn station wagon because even though we just had a baby, we were still way too cool at that point to have a minivan. So Saturn station wagon it was. And since it was winter and the weather was miserable, we just cleaned out the Taurus and we parked it and we left it to deal with uh, when spring came, when the weather was nicer. And so several months later when spring arrived, 
I went out to go get the car ready to sell it. But I kid you not, when I opened the door, I was slapped in the face with the most awful smell. It was like something had died in there because something had died in there. There were a handful of dead mice laying all over the seats and the interior of the car was covered in mouse poop. So in between gags, I decided that I was gonna have to take this car to a car wash to clean it up, but I couldn't get it to start. I opened the hood and I found nests of grass and animal hair and chewed up wires. I had left my clean and working car parked out in the country for just three months. And in that time, mice had moved in and basically completely destroyed it. I was shocked to realize how much, first of all, how much wildlife was around us and then how much damage it could do. And I was also amazed at how we didn't have any of those problems with mice in our other cars that were parked in the same driveway every day. But the only difference between our Ford Taurus that mice destroyed and our brand new Saturn station wagon that was fine, even though they're parked in the same place, was that we regularly occupied our station wagon. I mean, we got in it and drove it around every day. Our regular presence in that car was enough to keep the mice away, while the emptiness of the Taurus made it a welcoming environment for mice. And the same is true for religion. Religion can clean you up and it can put your life in moral order, but it can't fill you up. And just like the person in Jesus' parable, when we live focused on having clean religious lives, but lose sight of the centering influence of the love and grace of God, we have an empty life, ready to be filled up with just a whole different kind of evil. It may not be the evil we suffered before we came to religion, but it's the evil that comes from corrupted religion. Because here's the thing, main point, religion will leave you empty unless Jesus lives at the center of it. Religion can clean you up, but it can't fill you up. What can fill your house? Jesus. And not the Jesus we shape into our own image through religious corruption, but the Jesus who said the world that they, that said the world will know that we're his followers by how we love. The Jesus who said that all religious observance can be summed up in the command to love God with our whole heart and to love our neighbor as ourself. I mean, the Apostle Paul contrasts empty religion with, with a Christian life filled with Jesus this way in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and, 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 if all I and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge. And if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. When the love of Jesus fills us, it's the love of Jesus that also comes out of us. And all the religious activity in the world can't make up for being filled with that love. So why are some Christians so mean? Because they've trusted religion to make their lives clean 
but lost sight of having their lives occupied and filled with Jesus. And just like an empty car will attract mice, an empty spiritual home will be, fill, will be filled with one kind of evil or another, no matter how clean religion has made it. The evil generation Jesus talked about were people who put the practice of their religion over the simple command to live like Jesus lived, to think like he thought, and to do what he taught. They put perfect adherence to their religious principles over the simple love of God and love of neighbor that Jesus taught. And they crafted and followed religious principles that would keep them and their churches morally pure and clean, but that left them empty and subject to the very evil they were working so hard to avoid. And maybe you can recognize that in yourself today if you're a religious person. I mean, I've had to repent of this over and over to keep recognizing that I need Jesus to make me a person of love rather than a person of cold, hard religion. And maybe your house is clean but empty. And that's okay because recognizing you need to reinvite Jesus into the center of things is the first step to living a full life in him. And if you've been put off of Christianity because of all of the mean Christians, I hope in hearing this you can understand that this is a human condition that we are all subject to apart from Jesus. And just because someone appears to have a clean Christian home, it doesn't mean Jesus is the one speaking from inside of it. But the invitation to live a life filled with God, that's open to you too. Your emptiness may be different than that of a religious person, but Jesus is still knocking at the door of your life, ready to give you a full life, full of abundant joy and love. My prayer is that our religion would be just because we are people who are so full of Jesus and the Holy Spirit that the love and grace that he's poured out into us spills out into the lives of others. May we not live empty religious lives, but lives full of Jesus. And may the religion that we adopt in our lives be fully formed and fully shaped into the image of Christ because Jesus lives inside of it rather than the religion that is corrupted and deformed into discrimination, anger, hatred, war, and division because it's a religion that might be clean on the inside, but that's empty. May Jesus fill every part of our lives, and I will see you next time. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com. 